good morning. How's everybody doing today? Y'all look like it's 8.30 in the morning on Sunday morning. Hey, I want you to stand. I want you to turn to everybody around you and just say, you look fantastic today. It's good to see you in the house of the Lord. Yeah. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, it trembles at his voice. 
people said. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Just a second, okay? Because I know, I, I don't, you know, it's hard to tell these days when to tell people to stand and when to tell them to sit. Because some of them get mad at you if you stand too long. They won't sing if you let them sit, okay? So it's a dilemma for a worship pastor, I'm just telling you. Right now, all the standing and sitting and all that. So I'm going to let you sit in just a minute, but I'm going to have you stand in just a minute, okay? <laughs> hey, in 1968, right before the earth cooled, uh, fall of 1968, I came to Louisiana College. My dad was a Baptist pastor up near Ruston, a little town called Simsboro, Louisiana. I wanted to go to Louisiana Tech because Terry Bradshaw was there and, you know, I mean football team was doing great that's where I wanted to go and daddy came down here to a meeting of the, the executive board and he came back home and he said Fred there's a little college down there I want you to go look at and I said dad I don't want to go look at that college I want to go to Louisiana Tech and he said well you're going down there and looking at it so here I'm a 17 year old boy I crawl in the back seat of the car and pout all the way to Pineville <laughs> we get down here and you know it, it did look pretty cool I really liked it. We had to apply for grants and scholarships and that kind of thing because my dad couldn't afford to send me. I mean, uh, tuition was $16 an hour then, and that was just way too high. So we uh, applied at Louisiana Tech, applied at Louisiana College, and got two letters the same day, one from Tech, one from Louisiana College. I was at my grandmother's in Vicksburg, and Daddy called me, and he said, Fred, he said, we got two letters today, one from Louisiana Tech, one from Louisiana College. Louisiana Tech can't give you everything you need. Louisiana College can. He said, guess where you're going to school? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd been in church all my life. And every Wednesday night, every Sunday, every time the doors were open, I'd, I'd been in church. So I had this thing in the back of my mind when I got to Louisiana College that on a Sunday afternoon, I wasn't going to church that night because I'd been in church all my life. So I walk in. I didn't know anybody. And one of the boys walked up to me and said, hey, you want to go to church with me? I said, sure. So we came to First Baptist Pineville. That's been almost 50 years ago. I can't tell you how glad I am to be here today to see familiar faces Let's just worship him. He's the, he's the center of everything that we do today. So thank you, Pastor, for letting me be here, Brother Stewart. It's a joy to be here. You know these songs, so let's stand and sing them, okay? Here we go. There is a
was slain on that cross has the power to change lives churches we we don't like new songs so much but you know there's a lot of wonderful wonderful songs being written these days wonderful songs and they might not be in our comfort zone you know I mean we like we, we like everything to be comfortable and in our comfort zone but folks there's a generation out there who needs to hear the gospel sometimes we have to sing it the way they sing it. Amen? I mean, we can't keep it our way. You know, there are churches all over this country that are shutting their doors because they've, they, they've kept it the way it's always been. And now there's nothing but death there. You know, I like progress. Amen? I mean, I like power tools. I like indoor bathrooms. <laughs> I like air conditioning. 
Amen. So this is kind of a new song, but it, it, it contains the whole gospel, the whole good news of Jesus. And then after we've sung the good news of Jesus, we just sing, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. Hey, Tanya, let's do this. Let's sing that chorus first, okay? And just kind of teach it to everybody, okay? It goes like this. Oh, praise the name of the
yes, I have been on vacation. <laughs> One of the greatest stories in the Old Testament, in my estimation, is the 15th chapter of 1 Samuel. God had directed King Saul to completely annihilate the, Am the Amalekites because of what they had done to his people in their wanderings in, in the desert. But of course, Saul didn't obey. He took it upon himself to do it his way. He only, he only he killed everything except the choicest livestock, which he brought back to offer, in his estimation, a sacrifice to the true and living God. But this displeased God. And he, God sent the aged prophet Samuel to confront King Saul. And in my mind's eye, I can see Samuel walk up to Saul and place a bony finger right in his face. And he said the following. This is chapter 15, verse 22. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord his great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of limes, a, a rams. What advice that we have for us? Pray with me, please. Father, thank you so much for who you are, the great I am, the one who transcends all that is. You made everything that was, you sustained everything that is, and you're in control of all that will be to come. We thank you for your mercy and for your grace and what you gave to us. As we sang this morning, that on the third day you rose and came to us in our behalf to redeem us to yourself. This morning we pray especially for all those in our congregation, in our fellowship, and even in our community that have a need for you. And I pray for hearts that are hurting, hearts that do not know you. And I pray this morning a special blessing on Brother Stewart as he breaks the word with us and rightly divides it, that you would provide wisdom and passion for him. That every heart that is, so, uh, that is, that is of stone, that it be melted, that the word be find a place to uh, take root, to grow, to nurture into a new life for you. And today I, I raise our, our special friends, Miss Ann and, and, and Brother Leon, as they go through this extremely difficult time. I pray that you would bless them, uh, undergird them with your strength, let them know that we love them and that we were praying for them continually. Now go with us as we continue to obey you and to offer to you those just a small return of the great blessings that you have provided for us. For these things we ask in the eternal name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> conservative or liberal however they're defined it's not about interpretation or the judgment of the mind it's the opposite of politics power or prestige it's about a simple message and whether we believe it's still the cross it's still the blood of calvary 
that cleanses sin and sets this captive free. It's still the name, the name of Jesus that has power to save the lost. It's still the cross. Well, we can water down theology and preach the word to suit our needs. We can justify sweet subtleties that are wrapped in noble deeds. We can alter our convictions to adapt to social whims, but we cannot change the gospel or the truth contained within. It's still the cross. It's still the blood of Calvary that cleanses sin and sets this captive free. It's still the name, the name of Jesus that has power to save the lost. It's still the cross. Well, some may say, How many of you are grateful for the cross this morning? Amen. Amen. We've had such a great way to think about that this morning. And I'm standing down here because I know that made some of y'all nervous when Fred did that. So I'm doing it. (laughs) Fred, thank you so much for coming and leading us in worship today. Uh, I told Fred, uh, I've been wanting to do this for, well, nine years. Uh, One of the first... 
first weeks, first, within the first month or two of Rebecca and I being called to this church, I got a phone call one afternoon from Susan Nixon. They were having a vision banquet over at Louisiana College. They said, Stuart, we, need, we wanted to invite you. Can you be there tonight? I'm like, okay, let me call Rebecca. Rebecca was, you know, like eight and a half months pregnant or something with Zach. And can you come? Sure. So we, we made it over there and Voices of LC uh, sang and this guy was leading them. And I said, who is that? And I want him. And then I found out he was already at Philadelphia. And so uh, it's been a dream to be able to just lead a regular worship service. We've been able to have chorale and things through the years when you were at LC. But uh, this morning was wonderful. Thank you, Fred, for, for journeying. Glad we could do it with Homecoming Weekend and uh, dovetail that together. So thank you so much for, for leading us today. Uh, We've been thinking about the cross today, and that set our minds on evangelism, and that's perfect for where we are in God's Word today, because, you know, uh, the people we need to reach are everywhere. They're in our homes, they're in our neighborhood, they're in our offices, they're in our schools, they're our friends, they're our relatives, they're our neighbors. They are literally everywhere around us, and we know them. We may not know everything about them, but a lot of them, we know their hopes, we know their dreams, we know uh, what their struggles are. And if we don't know exactly what those struggles are and what their hopes and dreams are, we have a, a pretty good idea because we have some of the same ones. But the thing that we may not know is do they know Christ? And that's the most important question that we need to know about our friends and our relatives and neighbors and those around us. Do you know that as their friend, their relative, their coworker, their neighbor, do you know if they need, if they know Christ? Because you see, it's your responsibility to do that. It's my responsibility to do that. We could have been put in their lives for that very purpose. And so today we're going to be challenged to reach these people for Jesus Christ. And we're continuing our journey through John's gospel. And today we actually finish chapter one with John chapter one, verses 35 through 51. If you'll turn there in your copy of God's word. And um, last Sunday, we saw the first two days of Jesus's ministry. And today we pick up with uh, the third and fourth days of Jesus's first week of ministry in our scripture passage today, John records the fascinating story of friends helping friends and relatives helping relatives come to Christ. Now, it's commonly looked at as Jesus calling his first disciples, but I want you to see how John shows that that happens. We'll begin with the first day reading in verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And when the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. And turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the 10th hour. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was, tell, was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. Now the Holy Spirit had prepared John the Baptist for the coming of the Messiah, and John diligently prepared his 
followers. They knew he was coming, but where was he and when was he coming? Where could he be found? Well, finally, Jesus the Messiah came. We saw that uh, last week. And John the Baptist recognized him immediately and he declared him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John had been doing mass evangelism, reaching people with a baptism of repentance. In the remainder of this passage, we're going to see personal evangelism taking place. God uses both, but far more people are one to faith in Christ through personal evangelism than mass evangelism. And that's why every single one of us is so important to the spread of the gospel. So John the Baptist sees Jesus coming this third day of Jesus' ministry. He points to him and he says, look, the Lamb of God. And that was a directive to his disciples to follow Jesus, to shift their allegiance from him and to John. Look, guys, there he is. This is the one we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. Go follow him. And so they did. Well, they at least made the first step in becoming disciples of Jesus. They actually went after Jesus. And we learned in this reading that there were two disciples there that did that. Andrew and another disciple is all that's said. Most scholars believe that this other disciple was the gospel writer John, just as he figures in as the beloved disciple later on. He's always this anonymous kind of character in his gospel story. So here we have... Basically, John telling us his testimony of how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. So John and Andrew are following Jesus, and as they approach him, Jesus asks them an interesting question. What do you want? Now, we could take that question in a couple of different ways, and this is where reading through the Bible and kind of sometimes saying it out loud can be helpful, because Jesus could have said, what do you want? And that would mean one particular thing. Or he could have meant, what is it? you want. I think it was the second one because I think Jesus was wanting to really see what was going on in these guys' lives. Jesus wasn't ticked off that these guys were following him and, and somehow bothering him, but he does want to know why they are coming. What do you want? Now, that's the first question each of us must be asked when we come to Christ. What is it that we really want? What are our motives? Are we simply curious do we only want the good stuff Jesus can give us? Or do we really want to know Jesus? Do we really want to follow him? Do we really want to serve him as his disciple? If, if our motives are anything other than to know Christ and follow him, we are misdirected. Well, in answer to his question, they ask him another question. They ask, where are you staying? That indicates that they wanted to know him. They wanted to spend time with him. They didn't want just a passing prayer and a blessing. They wanted time with Jesus. Come and see, Jesus says. So they follow. And the time stamp, it was about the 10th hour, is there for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, it tells us that John remembered the exact hour that he met Jesus and his life began to be transformed. What a wonderful thought that is. But it also is there to help us see that these guys were going to have time with Jesus. Scholars debate as to what this time really is. Were they using Greek time, Roman time, Jewish time, whatever. But most scholars seem to agree. It was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Which means the day's work was about done. And they were going to have the entire evening to spend with Jesus. Some scholars even think that they were able to spend that evening, that whole night with Jesus. And get to know him really well. 
You know, the true disciple of Jesus is not content with a passing word. The true disciple of Jesus longs to linger with the Lord and longs to spend time with him and learn everything he can from Jesus. Well, after spending this time with Jesus, Andrew and John knew who Jesus was and they had committed to follow Jesus. And Andrew couldn't wait to tell somebody about it. You get that just reading the text. For him, it was a eureka moment. And he had to go let somebody else know who this was. And so he thought, who needed to know? Yes, his brother, Simon, needed to know. And so after he, he heads out, to go find Simon. Simon, Simon, we have found the Messiah. I know it's incredible, but you've got to come and see. And there's that statement again. Come and see. And so Andrew brought his brother Simon to Jesus. I wonder, do you have a brother or sister who needs to meet Jesus? A family member who's out there and you, you know they're searching and you know they need something, but, but have you ever brought them to Jesus. Have you ever said, come and see? You know, an interesting thing about Andrew as we go through the gospels and we get to know him a little better, with the exception of one account, each time we meet Andrew in this gospel, he's bringing someone to Jesus. You know, Andrew lived the majority of his life in the shadow of his brother, Peter. I mean, we know all about Peter, but Andrew's kind of this Secondary character, but Andrew's the one that led Peter to Jesus. And Andrew figured prominently in the story of the gospel by bringing these other people to Christ. You know, there are people who God uses to do upfront things for his kingdom, and there are people whom God uses to, to do behind the scenes things for his kingdom, and both of them are very, very important to the kingdom's advance. Andrew was one of those behind the scenes guys. Well, when, when Simon and Andrew come to Jesus, uh, Simon finds out who he really was. Jesus looked at him with a penetrating gaze. And the word that's used there is also used at only one other time in Peter's life, Simon Peter's life. And that is when Jesus looked at him after he denied him the third time. It's a penetrating gaze, the gaze that looks into the soul. And it's one that saw Simon not for just who he was, but for who he could be. And Jesus looked deep into the soul and heart of Simon. And he said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Peter or Rock. When we think of Peter, we typically think of a loose cannon. He was brash, he's boisterous, he's the first to answer the questions. He's that kid in the back of class, like, me, 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 pick me. Or just shouts out the answer. But here Jesus sees who he could be, a solid and stable and strong and stalwart rock for the kingdom of God. So Jesus not only saw the man Peter would become, but he also knew that he would make him what he called him to be. And so thus was born a new Simon. No longer was he simply Simon the fisherman. He was Simon Peter the rock, one who would become a fisher of men. Now there's something else interesting about that name Peter, which in Greek is Petros. Uh, Herschel Hobbes points out that, you know, it's not the word Petra, which also means rock. And there's a unique distinction. 
Petra is a, a ledge rock or a foundation rock. A Petros is a piece of that's broken off of the foundation rock. And so Peter is not the foundation. Jesus is the foundation. He is the Petra, but Peter is a Petros. He is a rock broken off that is used to build the superstructure of the kingdom of God and the church of Jesus Christ. And you and I are that as well. We are to be used to build up the church of Jesus Christ. It's amazing that when Jesus looked at Peter, he saw his potential. Do you see the potential that are in people? Or do you just write them off right where they are? You know, if you can see the potential, you can help them meet Jesus. The equation of life is simply this. What you are plus Christ is what you can be. What you are plus Christ is what you can be. Andrew found Jesus. Andrew found Simon. Andrew told Simon about Jesus. Andrew brought Simon to Jesus. Simon met Jesus. Simon found out who he was and who Jesus is. And he met the Messiah and was changed. What would have happened if Andrew had not found Simon? What would the course of history look like? If one brother had not shared Christ with another brother. Well, that's just one of the stories. There's one more. It happened the next day. We pick up reading at verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. And when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here's a true Israelite in whom there's nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open. And the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. It seems from the story that Jesus decided to leave for Galilee and this time Jesus found Philip and he said, follow me. The idea is really keep on following me. It was a simple and straightforward command. Start following and keep on following. But there was no high pressure shells pitch. There were no recruiting posters. There was no campaign promises. Just come follow me. And so Philip did. There's power in the name and call of Jesus, friends. Jesus says, follow me. And apparently Philip did because he becomes a disciple of Jesus. He answers the master's call. And Philip immediately has a burning desire to share the gospel. He wants to find someone else who he can share that with. And he thinks of his friend Nathaniel. So he goes off and soon finds his friend Nathaniel. Nathaniel, we have found the Messiah. We have found the one who we've been waiting for. He is Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel immediately says, um, Philip, Nazareth? Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? 
It's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. It's got a pretty sour reputation as being on that trade route and all the sorely kind of stuff that happens there. You, you sure about that? There's honest skepticism. There may have been a little bit of small town rivalry. But Nathaniel also knew his stuff. He knew Nathaniel, Nazareth wasn't mentioned in the Old Testament. Questions needed answering. Philip doesn't know the answer. He just says, come and see. There's that statement again. Just come and see. No argument. No discussion. No Bible beating. Philip didn't bother with any of that. He knew that all Nathaniel needed to do was experience Jesus for himself. And then he would be convinced. You know, there are times when there are people who have questions and we need to be able to offer answers. There are times when we need to offer an apologetic for Christianity and Christ. But often, what people who argue most need is to meet Jesus for themselves. You see, they want to argue. So when you refuse to argue and you say, come and see, it causes them to make a choice. Because you see, as long as you keep Jesus at arm's length as a theory to be discussed and argued, you don't have to make a commitment to Jesus. But when you meet Jesus face to face, you have the opportunity to make that decision. Thankfully, Nathaniel agreed not just to keep Jesus at arm's length and argue, but he agreed to go with Philip. And so Philip brought Nathaniel to Jesus. And when Jesus saw Nathaniel, he didn't chastise him for blasting his hometown. He just said, what do you mean saying that about my hometown? I remember we played y'all in football and we beat your town. No, he didn't do any of that. He didn't argue either. Jesus simply saw Nathaniel for who he really was. A good upstanding man. Do you notice what he said? Now here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. Nathaniel was transparent and honest. Jesus calls Nathaniel an Israelite. And what Jesus was doing was emphasizing something. Jacob, the Old Testament patriarch who became Israel, in his Jacob days was full of guile and he was a scoundrel and a schemester. But God worked in Jacob's life. And finally, after wrestling with God, Jacob was renamed Israel. So Jesus was saying that Nathaniel was an ideal Israelite because guile had gone out of his life. He wasn't a Jacob. He was an Israel. But Jesus had never met Nathaniel before, so how could he know that? And so Nathaniel just asked him, well, how do you know this? How do you... How do you know me? The answer simply is because Jesus is Jesus. I mean, he knows you if you don't know him. He knows your friends if they don't know him. But Jesus answered and told Nathaniel how. He said, well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Now, the thing was, Jesus wasn't anywhere around when that was happening, apparently. But what we think was happening was Nathaniel was probably enjoying the shade of a fig tree while reflecting on Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah. And that would account for Philip's reference to the law and the prophets when he first comes to Nathaniel and for Nathaniel's response when he met Jesus. But still, how could Jesus know that? I mean, how, 
how did Jesus see Nathanael there? Philip hadn't had time to tell Jesus how Nathanael had come to follow Jesus. This, so Nathanael decides, you know, this guy, Jesus, must be for real. And Nathanael declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And thus was born a new Nathanael. Notice the skeptic became the saved. In fact, his skeptical heart had already been prepared for the reception of the gospel. Simply earlier that day, sitting under that fig tree, God had reminded him of these prophecies of the Messiah. Friends, we may never know the groundwork that God has done in the lives of those we witness to before we ever get to them. He's plowing, he's softening, he's providing, he's making a way. So Jesus tells Nathaniel that he'll see even greater things than, than what Jesus had seen. Jesus alludes to that dream that Jacob had where he saw the ladder and he saw these angels ascending and descending. And what Jesus does in this, his story is he omits the ladder, letting us realize that Jesus himself is the ladder. He is the connection between God and man now. And in him, the heavens will remain open as he presents God to us and us to God. There's a new relationship so we have this wonderful story of Philip finding Nathaniel, Philip telling Nathaniel about Jesus, Philip bringing Nathaniel to Jesus, Nathaniel meeting Jesus, Nathaniel finding out who he is and who Jesus is, meeting the Messiah and be changed. What would have happened if Philip had never found Nathaniel? We have a leader in John the Baptist pointing his followers to Jesus. We have a brother pointing a brother to Jesus. We have a friend pointing a friend to Jesus. Three ordinary people shared their faith. One with a group, one with his brother, one with his friend. And the passage this morning gives us some simple lessons that I want to share with you very briefly to take home. One is God uses ordinary people to bring people to Jesus. All these guys were ordinary people. I mean, yeah, John the Baptist was a little unique. But the rest of these guys, they're just normal, everyday guys. I want you to realize something. The people Jesus called, these disciples, they were hardly, as someone said, porcelain perfect saints. Someone wrote, the men and women to whom Jesus offered this gift were ordinary human beings, faulted and flawed just like the rest of us. He gave his disciples no job descriptions. He did not disqualify Mary Magdalene because she had been afflicted with seven demons. He did not spend a lot of time looking for the most qualified people, the most adult. Instead, he chose people who were still childlike enough to leave the known comforts of the daily world, the security of their jobs, their reasonable way of life to follow him. All these guys were normal, everyday guys, working men, blue jean, t-shirt kind of folks. Nothing special. If God could use them, God can use you and me. So are you letting Jesus use you? J.I. Packer has written, there's something wrong with a Christian who does not have a passion for evangelism. We need to share our faith. Second truth, God uses ordinary people using a simple strategy. To bring people to Jesus. The strategy is simple. It's not FTD like the florist. It's FTB. Find, tell, bring. That's what we saw, right? Find them. Tell them about Jesus. Bring them to Jesus. How do you find them? You go where they are. What do you tell them? Your testimony. Uh, where do you bring them? To Jesus. Right there 
in that moment or right here at church. God uses ordinary people using a simple strategy to bring people to Jesus. A third point, God uses ordinary people using a simple strategy to bring people they know to Jesus. Yes, we're to reach the stranger. Yes, we're to reach person X. But a lot of us are intimidated about sharing our faith because we think that's all it is. But it's, it's not. Just think what would happen if we all just reached the people we know. In fact, statistics tell us that 75 to 90% of people who come to church, this is across the U.S., 75 to 90% of people who come to church come because a friend or relative invited them. That's how people get here. One person tells another person tells another person. Fourth, God uses ordinary people using a simple strategy to bring people they know to Jesus for eternal results. When you help a friend find Jesus, you help them be changed for eternity. Today, I've asked that question over and over. What would have happened if so-and-so hadn't brought so-and-so to Jesus? It's a question about eternity. You know what would happen, don't you? If you don't tell them, all of our friends, our relatives, our co-workers, our neighbors will live the rest of their lives without Jesus and they'll live the rest of eternity without Jesus in hell forever. If you and I don't tell them and if somebody else doesn't tell them. We've got to believe that. I think we're so lax in evangelism sometimes because we think it's just all going to work out some way. Well, friends, the only way it's all going to work out is if Jesus is in the center of our lives. We've got to have that burning desire. We've got to be obedient to Christ's command to go into our living rooms, to go next door, to go across the office, to go across the store, to go across the gym and share the good news of Jesus Christ. But you know, one of the hardest things to do, I think, in our day is, is to get to know people. We, we know our family and we might know our close friends, but what about those neighbors and those related to us? We'd have 2,000 friends on Facebook and we really don't have that many people that we really know. And it can be hard to get to know your neighbors. We lived in our neighborhood when we moved there nine years ago. We were there probably five or six months before we ever saw the first living being because we moved in in November and everybody was inside, garage doors closed, and it wasn't until spring that... People sprung. Well, today I want to encourage you to participate in something that we're going to be doing uh, across the Louisiana Baptist Convention, and that is uh, Bless Every Home. And uh, I want to show you what this does. Some of our staff and some of our deacons have already signed up on this, and I'm going to show you live on the um, screen what's happening. Here, if you go ahead and switch me over to the, the iPad here. Um, we got to skip that. We got to save time. All right. Um, can we switch to the iPad or is it anyway there's this thing called bless every home and um, are we there there we go and blesseveryhome.com is a, a wonderful uh, tool that the Louisiana Baptist Convention is providing for all of us to use. And this is a dashboard that signed up. And what it does is you sign up and it provides you with uh, names and addresses of your neighbors. Uh, for instance, here's the map going to be coming up in just a second. And on this map, you can see uh, where I am, you, that's the circle, and then the red ones are the people that, and the gray ones are the people that I'm going to either have prayed for or will be praying for in kind of around our house in Pineville. Here's the cool thing about this. People move in and out of our neighborhood all the time. There's always one or two houses for sale. There's no way to get to know everybody. But this helps you go, oh, that's who lives there. 
We got this little neighbor kid that comes and plays with Zach. Didn't know their names. Know their names now because I know their house and I have their address and we can pray for them. And the strategy is very simple. You pray for them. You get an email, however many times a week you want, you pray for them. Then you send them some kind of note of care, and then you try to do some kind of act of ministry. We're still in the praying stage right now. And I'll show you as a, we can, because I'm the administrator for the church, we can see uh, how our church is reaching different people, and we can check our church's coverage. And so right now, we don't have that much coverage, and we've got to work out with uh, Bless Every Home why some people aren't showing up. That should be showing up. But this is a wonderful tool for you to use. And so what I wanted to do today is to show you how you can actually do that yourself. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, sign us up. Let me get back to home. I'm going to sign up our church staff. And we're going to, you should have got, if you didn't get it when you came in, there's a little yellow sheet that tells you how to do this when you get home. But we're going to just sign up. It's very, very simple. You put in your address, which of course they've got to have so that they can find out where you are. So we're going to put in 901 Main Street and we're going to put in Pineville, Louisiana, 71360. We go to the next step. In that next step, it asks you to put in your name. So I'm going to put church staff. That's going to be our name. I'm going to use one of our extra email addresses. Info at fbcpineville.net. Password. And then you're going to find the church, which you put in Pineville, First Baptist, and it should populate it right there. Skip the association, because if you click something there, it messes up the whole thing. <laughs> Personal experience. And then you figure out, how many homes do we want to adopt? How many homes do we want to adopt as a church staff, Thomas? A hundred enough? All right, we're going to pick, then you can pick which days you want. You see that there? Uh, I'm just going to do Tuesday because that's when we do staff meeting. And so we'll get an email every Tuesday and we can pray for those people in staff meeting. We're going to show us as our light. We're going to welcome new movers. I accept whatever that says. <laughs> and then we, we go on and it's going to tell you, good job, you're there. You have to go to the web, web address, email address, confirm the email, and then you're there. And you'll start getting those emails. This could be a tremendous tool. The goal of this is that we pray and care for every home in Louisiana, but I pray that we would do this for every home in our region. This is a simple way. I need this kind of thing to help me get out of the box. I need the accountability to get out of the box and share Christ with our neighbors. I, I was reading a book uh, at home the other day and I found this card in it. And it's one that we did back in 2008, 2009. It said, I'll adopt my neighborhood for Christ and I'm gonna reach my neighborhood for Christ. It was a challenge we did way back then. And I thought, you know, I hadn't fulfilled that. But now we have the opportunity to do that. So I encourage you when you get home this afternoon, sign up for this Bless Every Home and use it in a, a powerful way. Because the challenge is we've got to help people come and meet Christ. And so this morning, that's the challenge. That's the invitation. Would you accept the call to tell people about Jesus? Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you this morning and uh, we just seek your face as we uh, come into this time of invitation. Lord, we want to be obedient to share the gospel with people. 
And so, Lord, help us to do that in a powerful and an effective way in the weeks and months to come. Thank you, God, for the way that you have, are moving in our services. Thank you for the way that you're encouraging us and empowering us. And I pray, Lord, that you would do exceedingly beyond what we could ask or imagine in the days, weeks, and months, and years to come. Thank you, Lord, for speaking today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.